and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Amen. Bent Tree, you guys can remain standing in reverence of God's word here today. Um, today's passage comes from Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51. Um, I'll read it. You guys can just follow along on the screen. But concerning that day and hour... No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, and so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man." Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them their food at their proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will so find doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know He will cut him into pieces and put him in with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God. You guys can take your seats now and let's pray. (sighs) Dear God, everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you, and that includes us. So right now, we just give it all back to you, God. We give you every moment, every thought, every decision, every word. You deserve it all. Your faithfulness is great to us, and we sing for it. We do everything, God, for your faithfulness. We know the day of reckoning is coming. God, you'll be faithful to your word there, a day when we'll be called to account for everything we've done with what you've given us. So help us now, God, to entrust everything back to you. We start by entrusting this time to you, and we ask that you would come and you would change us by the power of your word. We pray that when you come to the earth or when we die, You'd find faith in us. We pray that we'd wisely steward all our time, money, and attention, all of our lives, God, to see your kingdom come in this world and in our hearts just as it is in heaven. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. It's the spring of 1998. The Broncos have just won their first Super Bowl. You guys remember the helicopter dive for the first down? John Elway spinning in the air. I thought he was a goner, right? But no, 15 minutes later, Pat Bowen's holding the trophy. This one's for John. You guys remember that moment? Um, I was in sixth grade, and Seinfeld was the most popular show on television. And at the peak of its popularity, Seinfeld, uh, their creators, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David, they announced that they're going to end their series. And the question on everyone's mind is, what will the series finale be like? Uh, that's my Seinfeld impression. Um, that's when uh, Seinfeld, they come up with this idea for the most controversial, uh, talked about series finale of all times. And they base it around this idea right here, the day of reckoning. 
The idea is that all their characters, George, Kramer, um, Elaine, Seinfeld, right? They're all going to have a day of reckoning in court for all the nothing that they did throughout the show's tenure, right? They're going to bring back all the people that they wronged and their characters' character, Will be, uh, will be evaluated in a court of law. And Seinfeld, he was highly criticized for this ending, all right? And why do you think they got such a big blowback for a day of reckoning? Well, I think it's because when I say that, a day of reckoning, I think it hits just a little close to home for some of us, right? I think all of us know in our heart of hearts that a day of reckoning awaits all of us at the end of our lives, um, in fact, Newman, if you guys don't know Seinfeld, Newman is, he's crazy, but he has this quote from this episode, and I think it's particularly haunting. So here's my best Newman impression. Hear me, and hear me well, Jerry. The day will come, oh yes, mark my words, Seinfeld, your day of reckoning is coming. A day when an evil wind will blow through your little play world and wipe that smug smile right off your face. And I'll be there in all my glory, watching, just watching as it all comes crumbling down. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not giving you any more Newman. Um, that took all my energy for the morning. No, um, but here's the thing is that's so haunting because we get it that there is a day of reckoning for us, a day when we're going to be held to account for all of our mocking and maligning, all of our selfishness and self-absorption. There's going to be a day of reckoning for all of our immaturity, all of our greed, a day of reckoning. It's coming for all of us. It's a day when we'll be called into the docket of eternity to give an answer for everyone you abused, an answer to everyone we wronged, an answer to everyone we deceived and betrayed throughout our lifetimes. The day of reckoning is upon us. And reckoning, that's the title of my sermon today. I almost called it, check yourself before you wreck yourself, but that felt a little, yeah. Yeah, you guys laughed. And that's why I didn't call it that, because that's a little 2000 and late. So um, why don't you turn to a neighbor right now and tell him a day of reckoning right now. That's my title. Tell it. Day of reckoning. There you go. Good job. All right. Well, before I dive too far into our talk for the day, I just want to take a second and introduce myself. I am Jeff. Hi. Nice to meet you. I'm not Newman. All right. I know that was convincing. Um, Here's the deal. I'm filling in for Pastor Paul this week and next, and I'm glad you're here today because today is not a day of reckoning. Today is the day the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. All right. In fact, today is a day that I just want to offer grace and peace to all of you. And if this is your first time here at Bentry Church, thank you for coming. Seriously, thankful. Uh, thank you. Um, we're grateful for visitors here. We're grateful for people who are new here. Um, and if you are new here, I just want to encourage you to try us out for a few weeks in a row. Um, in two short weeks, Pastor Paul should be up here preaching. Um, and as you're getting to know us, um, I got one other request of you. Would you let us get to know you? I mean, even if you've been coming to this church for a while, let us get to know you guys. Um, take some time to make yourself known after service. Uh, grab a cup of coffee, uh, grab a donut, grab a pastor. Don't just grab too hard, though. That hurts. All right. Um, we would love to hear your story. We'd love uh, for you to become a part of our church family. All right. Does that sound good? Can you guys let us get to know you? Deal. All right. Well, let's dive into our message for the day. A day of reckoning. Uh, I can think of a couple moments in my life 
when I faced a day of reckoning, the first one came in fourth grade for me. I was assigned to read a book. Uh, my mom probably still remembers it. Maniac McGee. You remember that book? The kid like unties knots. I, I, that's all I remember about it. Um, because here's the thing is, though I was assigned to read it, I was busy um, hiding under my desk reading these books called Animorphs, which were awesome. Um, yeah, there we go. I got a thumbs up, right, for the Animorphs. Um, I even wrote a theme song, Zach. I'll show that with you later. Um, not from the stage. Um, Here's the deal. The teacher calls me out into the hallway to give my verbal book report, and I lied. I said, oh, yeah, I read the book. Well, of course, she starts asking me questions about it, and she, yeah, the truth comes to bear really quick. Um, My day of reckoning in fourth grade came for me. Um, I got expelled from school, all right, and then I went to jail, all because, no, I'm kidding. Um, I did get a big fat zero on my report card, though, um, and that was the worst, right? I'm taking that paper home to my parents. Ugh. That paper felt like it weighed a million pounds. Um, And I wish I could say that I learned my lesson, but just, um, what is it, maybe 10 short years later, I'm not good at math, I was a Spanish teacher, eight years later, all right, I was graduating from high school, and (laughs) my parents are thinking about this one right now, Uh, I had $500 in unpaid parking fines, all right? Here's, now listen, when you hear how it happened, you'll understand my side of the story, okay? Here's the deal. I was parking in teacher parking, right? It was a prophecy. I was going to be a teacher someday, so I was parking in teacher... <laughs> anyway, I parked in teacher parking for a week or like 16, and then they wrote me tickets for all of that time. And um, I thought I could escape it and just graduate and get away with it, but no one escapes the wrath of Carol, our high school hall monitor. Um, yeah. You guys can all think of your own days of reckoning, right, in your past, right? Um, We've all faced them. And if there's anything I've learned in my, whatever, 12 years of teaching and another 10 years or so of ministry, I've learned this, that we, as humans, we don't want to change our behavior until the very last minute, right? We don't want to change until the day of reckoning is upon us. Here's your first note for the day. We don't want to change until it's too late, right? It's too late to apologize. Yeah, that's how, that's when humans want to change. That's when we want to apologize, when it's too late. We don't want to do the science project until the night before it's due, right? That triggered some parents right there. Um, We don't want to change our work habits until our boss calls us into his office. We don't want to change the way we treat our loved ones until their bags are packed and by the door. We don't want to save for retirement until we realize we have nothing to pass on to our loved ones when we die. And we don't want to drag our kids to church until we see that they've become completely corrupted by society. Guys, this is all of us. This is all of humans, right? We as a species, we don't want to change until the last minute, right? Until it's too late, until the day of reckoning is upon us. And you know, we all know exactly what reckoning feels like, right? That pit in your stomach when a great reckoning is beckoning, right? You guys know the feeling. It feels like a piece of paper that weighs a thousand pounds, the piece of paper you never wanted your family to see. Reckoning, what does it sound like? It sounds like the garage door coming up 20 minutes before you thought they'd get home. Reckoning looks like, what does it look like? It looks like flashing lights in your, uh, your rear view mirror. You guys starting to feel that feeling, right? We all know what reckoning feels like, and it's the worst feeling in the world. And here's why this matters. Scripture is clear, all right, that a day of reckoning is coming for all of us. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 36. We'll just pop over a few chapters early in Matthew. Um, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. 
You can probably think of enough words today that you wouldn't want to be held accountable for. But that's every day of your life. If you're 30, that's about a billion seconds worth of careless words. All right, if you're 60, that's about 2 billion seconds of careless words and careless thoughts. All right, every careless word we've ever spoken, every selfish action we've ever taken, every reckless decision we've ever made, we're going to have to answer for everything we did and everything we didn't do in the courtroom of eternity. And there's nothing we can do to escape our court date, ready or not, Here it comes. The day of reckoning is inevitable. It's unavoidable. It's a day that's appointed for all of us. And it's an appointment you can't get out of. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. And the scariest thing about this appointment with justice that all of us have is this. We don't know when it's coming. We don't know when the appointment is. All right? That's got a, my wife loves her calendar. Honey, a date in your calendar that you don't know when it's coming for you. Right? We don't know if we've got three decades to live, three months to live, or even three hours. That's why we got to talk about it today. Because yes, today is the day that the Lord has made, but the Lord has also made a day in the future for all of us. A day of reckoning and church fam. I've never been more sincere about anything I've ever said to you. I don't want the day of reckoning to wreck you. I don't want that for any of you. You don't want that for you. So ready or not, here it comes. The day of judgment is upon us. About that day, Jesus said this, and this is where we'll come to our passage for the day. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. No one knows the date or time when Jesus is coming back. Um, I know one preacher used to say it was, whatever, 1988, right? He had a book out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. I didn't read it. I was two years old, okay? And you're not my high school or my fourth grade book teacher, okay? Here's the deal. All right, if any preacher tries to tell you the date that Jesus is coming back, you need to run from that guy, all right? Because the passage says it right here, no one knows when he's coming back. And so friends, here's what you need to grasp from this verse right here. You will never know the day of your death until it comes for you. Until that day comes, you'll never know. You'll never know your time is up until the timer goes off. No one knows the day. And then to make his point, Jesus said that even he didn't know the day or hour that he'd be coming back. Think about that for a second. Jesus said he didn't know the day or hour when he's coming back. And I want to take a little sidebar here to explain this. All right, um, this is a good question. If you guys are asking, well, if Jesus is God and he knows everything, how can he not know when he's coming back? That's a good question. There's such a thing as good questions. I've learned this as a teacher. All right, um, this is a good question because it means you understand that God is omniscient. He knows everything, right? All right, and if Jesus is God, omniscient, he should know everything, right? But you guys got to realize that Jesus did limit his knowledge Um, When he came to this earth, here's the deal. God does know everything. Yes, he knows all the hairs on your head. He knows all the molecules and follicles. See what I did there? I don't know. Follicle, follicle, I can't say it. Whatever. That make up your hair and he knows everything that could ever happen to the hairs on your head and everything that will happen to all those hairs on your head. And all that knowledge can't fit in a tiny little human head. That much knowledge can't fit in our heads. So when Jesus took on flesh, he took on the frailness of humanity and he took on some of the limitations of the human mind. And not knowing when he'd come back, that was a way in which he voluntarily limited his knowledge while he was on this earth. And don't be deceived and think that Jesus is still limited, though. 
All right? No, Jesus now exists high and exalted in a glorified body in heaven, right? You remember, he went up to heaven. He exists in a high and exalted glorified body, and he surely knows everything perfectly. He knows the day that he's coming back. Excuse me. Get that. He knows the day that he's coming back, and I can envision Jesus uh, counting down in heaven, all right? Um, And I'll step aside from the pulpit, because this is not in the Bible anywhere. I can envision Jesus is up there counting five, four, three, two, one, ready or not, here I come, right? Ready or not. Back to the matter of hand, the day of reckoning, when Jesus does finally come back to earth, when this cosmic hide-and-seek countdown ends, what will he be seeking? Have you thought about that? Well, Jesus asked the question in Luke 18. Um, so keep your hand in Matthew 24. Uh, let's go to Luke 18 for a second because he tells us exactly what he's looking back. Uh, Luke 18, verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, Jesus says, referring to himself, will he find faith on the earth? You guys see this, right? When Jesus comes back, Faith is what he's looking for. Faith is what he is seeking. He's looking for people whose allegiance is to his kingdom alone. He'll be looking for people whose lives are entrusted to his will. He'll be looking for belief in him as Lord above all others. Faith is what he'll be looking for when he comes back. And I want to take a second. I want to make this point that faith is the great divider of all humanity. The great divider, this is what divides all humanity is faith in Christ. It matters not whether you're Republican or Democrat. It matters not when you're con- whether you're conservative or socialist. It matters not whether you're man or woman, black or white, rich or poor. What matters when Jesus comes back is whether or not you trust in him. You put your faith in him alone to save you. Faith in Christ is what will divide those who are delivered unto judgment and those who are delivered unto salvation. On the day of reckoning, your faith will deliver you from judgment if your faith is in Christ. But if you lack faith in Christ, that will be what delivers you unto destruction. So I've got to ask, before I go any further, do you believe? (laughs) Make no mistake, if you believe in Christ, you'll be living for Christ. Have you pledged your highest allegiance to King Jesus? Or do you merely feign your allegiance? Have you entrusted your life to him, or do you still consider your life your own? This is the question that divides all of humanity. And we'll talk more about this question at the end of our time together, um, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to commit your life to Christ, but you need to know this, that faith in Christ is the only thing that matters when he comes back. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But I want to talk now about the day when he returns. Because here's the deal. When he comes back, Jesus describes it. It's going to be a day just like any other day. Verse 37. For as were the days of Noah. So this is the antediluvial time. This is before the flood. Those days of Noah. All right. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And so will be the coming of the Son of Man. They were unaware until it was too late. And that's what the day of reckoning will be like. On the day that Jesus comes, the world will be operating in the same way it always has. All right, everything will be business as usual. Certainly there will be signs of his coming. Oh, my bad. 
I know how to do this. Look at this. I am dropping remotes all over. Seriously, I am unaware of my remotes. I got it, bud. All right. They were unaware until the day came, right? And that's what it's going to be like. When Jesus comes back, all right, people will be going to the grocery store and going out to eat just like any other day. People will be dating and getting married and having kids just like any other day. And people will be completely unaware that it's about to end until the floodwaters are coming up, all right? Because it's going to be just like any other day. And that right there is the truth about death for almost all of us. That's the truth. Most of us will go on living the exact same way, business as usual, until the very day that we die. And on that day, we don't want to be swept away, all right? Like the billions of people that died in Noah's days and age. We can't just operate like business as usual. The reckoning will wreck us if we're not ready for it. So I just want to take a little tangent here. Um, I saw a meme this week, uh, and it was like, when you fight, fight like you're the third monkey getting on the, in line to get on the ark. And like, okay, that's, that's a good idea for how to fight, but here's the deal. Um, in those days, in age, in that day, when the day of reckoning is upon us, you won't have a chance to fight your way into heaven. All right? Um, you can't run, you can't hide, you can't talk your way into heaven. Guys, when Jesus comes back, it's ready or not. Here I come, and you won't have time to find your hiding place, which is why I urge you, I compel you, find your hiding place in Christ today. Hide your heart in him. Going on to verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Two people, one taken, one left. Do you guys see what I mean by faith is the great divider of all humanity? Like, one is saved and one will suffer the consequences of their sin. What separates them is what they did with the person of Jesus Christ. One entrusts their life to Christ and the other doesn't. One's delivered unto salvation and one is delivered unto destruction. And again, on the day of reckoning, some will be delivered unto salvation and everyone else Everyone else that isn't on that narrow path will be delivered unto destruction. And guys, I don't know about you, but I want to be on the right side of the dividing line. Lucky for us, in the very next verse, Jesus gives us an imperative. He gives us an action verb for what we ought do. It's what we should do to be ready for the day of reckoning. Stay awake. Sorry if I caught anyone asleep. Um, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. This is a command that he's going to repeat a few times, so let's hear him well. When he says, stay awake, it means don't fall asleep. Don't sit back and idle in your sinfulness. Don't turn a blind eye to your unbelief. Be awakened and aroused to action. It's time to get saved if you're not. I implore you, let the word of God stir you awake and don't fall asleep. And you too, dear child of God, if Christ has opened your eyes, don't close them. Don't turn a blind eye to sin. Keep your eyes open and your head on a swivel. Keep your eyes alert to Satan's schemes because you never know when your time will be up. You'll never know when you've lost all the opportunity you ever had to evangelize to your neighbors. You'll never know when you lose that opportunity to give to your church until that day of reckoning comes for you, until your day of death comes. You won't know. 
um, what's great about these next few verses is that Jesus himself, he breaks down what he means by stay awake. And he uses this really cool analogy. He talks about a robber, a thief, a burglar that comes in the middle of the night. Verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Um, quick question, show of hands. Have any of you had your house broken into? Has anyone ever? Yeah, there's a few of you around. I would love to hear your story and you've got to share it. All right. Um, not right now. Um, <laughs> but here's the deal. I'll share my story. I lived in Mexico for a few seasons of my life and our house was broken into um, while I was down in Mexico. And And here's what I learned. I learned a lot about thieves through this experience. I learned a lot about burglars and how they operate. Um, Here's how it all went down. First things first, um, it was Saturday night. Um, My buddy and I were out hanging out. I think it was, there's Chili's in Mexico. We went to Chili's, I know. Chili's. Anyway, so we went to Chili's and um, my parents have eaten there um, in Mexico. It's crazy. Anyway, it's just like the same Chili's in America. Anyway, so we're eating at Chili's. Um, We leave that place. And when I get back to my house, I realize that I don't have a key. Um, in my pocket. Oh, nuts. Well, good news. My roommate has a key. Let's us into the house. All right. Um, and here's what I come to find out later. The thieves that had taken my key um, at Chili's, um, they had staked out our house all week the next week. All right. Um, and then on Friday, what do you know? They learned all our routines on Friday. They wait for all of us to leave in the morning and they break in. So you know what happens when they break in though? Check it out. My Mexican brother, he had um, stayed home sick that day. So when they open the door, he's in there on the couch playing Xbox and they're shocked and he's shocked. And what do they do? They grab the Xbox controller out of his hand, the Xbox, and they leave. All right. They shove him down. They're out of there. Why? Because that's how thieves operate. They don't want to come when people are awake. They don't want to come. All right. When you expect them. All right. They're smart. They don't want a fight. They just want to take your stuff. So they come when no one's expecting it. Right. When you least expect it. So. Coming back to our text now, think about what Jesus is saying here. When he's saying, stay awake, when he's saying, be alert, he's saying, keep your eyes open to Satan's schemes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's saying, get right with God before the day of reckoning comes to find you completely shocked and surprised. He's saying, don't become apathetic and complacent in your sin. Don't press snooze on Jesus. We got any snooze pressers out there? I do. I'm sorry, honey. I press snooze every once in a while. Don't press snooze on Jesus, all right? Be ready for he's coming because he's coming ready or not. And you know what's really cool about this teaching? Um, Jesus gives us a parable in the very next chapter to explain what he means even more by stay awake. Um, In Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, uh, Jesus gives us a parable to explain what he means here at the end of Matthew 24. Uh, This parable... It's called the parable of the 10 virgins. Um, I call it the parable of the 10 bridesmaids because um, that's what they are in the story. Um, this story, it speaks directly to the idea of being prepared. Okay? Um, you guys can go ahead and read along if you like, um, if you're a visual learner. But I just want to encourage you, especially if you're like an auditory learner, uh, turn on that flat screen in your mind right now and just picture this story as I tell you. Um, Jesus starts by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like blank. All right. This is what the kingdom of heaven like, and this is how heaven's going to come to earth. How is it going to come to earth? It's going to be like this. It's going to be like 10 bridesmaids. All right. Who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. All right. Um, Oh, shucks. I forgot. Um, Annie and how they went to Israel and they brought me one of these lamps. It's really, really, really cool. All right. Um, 
And the thing is, is you would fill it with oil, all right? And then you would light it, all right? And it would burn, and it would be like a lamp. Um, so the bridesmaids, they would have these lamps to wait for the groom to come by, all right? Um, and here's the deal. Out of the 10 bridesmaids, five of them, all right, were foolish, and five of them were wise, which... Um, you know, I've done a few weddings in the past. That's a pretty good percentage of what I've seen in bridesmaids, okay? <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to take a shot at bridesmaids. But five were foolish, five were wise, all right? And then the foolish ones, they took their lamps. They didn't take any extra oil with them, all right? But the wise ones, they did have oil for their lamps. And the groom, he was delayed. Not just one hour, not just three hours, but several hours, all right? And they all, well, they all fell asleep because that's what bridesmaids do when they're waiting on the groom too long. But then at midnight, there's a cry saying, hey, Ready or not, here he comes. The groom is coming. So then all the bridesmaids, they get up really quickly. They trim their lamps with oil. And here's the key. The five wise ones, they had oil for their lamps. The five foolish ones, uh, hey, can we borrow some oil? Um, our lamps are going to go out. And the wise braids, they're saying, no, sorry, you can't borrow any of our oil. There won't be enough for us. All right, if we give you some of our oil, why don't you go and buy some real quick before he gets here? Well, Guess what? He got there and they were out trying to buy some. All right. They got there and they went with the groom because they had their lamps to go with the groom. And the five foolish bridesmaids, they came by the wedding later and they said, Lord, Lord, let us in. He said, I never knew you. Lord, Lord, I never knew you. Be ready, therefore. This is how Jesus concludes this um, little parable. He says, be ready for you never know. When it's ready or not, here I come. Guys, the point of this story seems crystal clear to me, and I hope it seems clear to you as well, all right? That we need to be ready for Jesus to come back. We need to stay awake. We need to be wise, and we need to be filled with the Spirit, all right? Just like the bridesmaid's lamp, they were full of oil. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And don't think that you can get in on someone else's faith. You can't get in on your granddaddy's faith or your wife's faith, all right? You got to have a faith of your own. And you need to get right with Christ before you find yourself on the wrong side of heaven's gate. You don't want to be one of those people that are shut out of heaven crying, Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord, and the best way to make sure that doesn't happen is to cry out to him right now. Say, Lord, Lord, wake me up from my apathy. Wake me up from my spiritual complacency. To say in your heart of hearts, God, save me. You don't want the moment of reckoning to find you wanting. You need to get saved today or the day of reckoning will completely wreck you. So now, going back to the ending of Matthew 24, um, we see that Jesus is going to end his teaching here on the Olivet Discourse. Um, he's going to end his teaching on the day of reckoning. In the last part, it's haunting. All right? Um, even for those who have put their faith in Christ. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at their proper time? It's a simple question, really. Um, and it sets up the last part of Jesus' teaching here. Jesus is asking what does it look like to serve God rightly? He's asking what it looks like to serve him faithfully and with wisdom. And if Jesus, is, if Jesus himself is asking the question, this is a question we need to pay attention to. All right? Um, to summarize it, what does it look like to serve God rightly? How would you answer that? If I had my little bell up here, I'd ding it. And I'd say, hey, turn to a partner and ask, answer that question right now. What does it look like to serve God rightly? Who is the faithful and wise servant of Jesus? 
It's vital that you know the answer to this question because we who believe God's people, we too are going to be evaluated on the day of reckoning and we'll either be blessed or we won't. Check out the next verse, 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And if you just read this verse on your own, you'd be asking, doing so, doing what? What is it that he should be doing when Jesus comes back? All right, what is it we should be doing as we wait for Jesus. Well, go back a verse. Verse 45. Who's that faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? There's your answer. The servant of God that serves God rightly does this. They give them their food at their proper time. They give the people of God the right spiritual nourishment at the right time. Or if you think about what Jesus said at the end of uh, the book of John, What did Jesus say to Peter three times? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What does it look like to serve God rightly? Feed his sheep. That's what the faithful and wise servant of God does, and it's what it means to serve God rightly, to feed his sheep, to give to his people what they need. And I'll be honest, like on the surface, this seems like a really easy ask of Jesus, right? But a couple decades in ministry has taught me uh, differently. And I don't mean to sound jaded or cynical here. uh, And I want to say this in the gentlest way possible. All right. Um, There's just a lot of Christians nowadays um, that are spiritual consumers, right? That are looking to be fed, not looking to feed others. There's a lot of people that come to church just every once in a while, um, but they're not actually looking to help other Christians. In fact, they don't want people to know that they're a Christian. There's a lot of people that are just seeking to be fed rather than to feed others. And that's concerning because that's the kind of Christian um, that isn't serving God rightly. Um, We see a warning from Christ that that kind of self-seeking servant, um, well, they're doomed. And we're going to see that in a second, but I just want to draw your attention to the kind of servant that Jesus is looking for when he comes back. What kind of servant is he looking for? He's looking for servant leaders that pitch in and help the church feed the sheep. This is what those kind of people look like. Um, They're inclusive and welcoming And they're always inviting the spiritually hungry to church. They're not just passing by their strangers so they can go talk to the people they know. Um, The servant that serves God rightly, they serve and they give regularly and they give generously and they give sacrificially so that the word of God can be preached to everyone, young and old. And they set the table for others. All right. They clean up after themselves. They wash the dishes behind the scenes and they aren't afraid to roll up their sleeves and do what needs to be done. Those that serve God rightly are people that make sure that all God's people are served. All right? That's what it means to serve God rightly, and that's the kind of heart that we need to have. For hearts that have been transformed by the kingdom of heaven, they're promised heavenly rewards. I'm going to say that again. Hearts that have been transformed by the king of heaven, they're promised heavenly rewards. Look at verse 47. Truly I say to you, he will set him, that faithful and wise servant, over all his possessions. That's the kind of reward I want when I uh, land in heaven. To the servant that serves God rightly, eternal rewards are granted. But to those who do not answer God's call to serve, those who do not seek to serve rather than be served and offer their lives as a ransom for many, well, let's read what Jesus has to say to them on the day of reckoning. Verse 48. If that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow servants, 
and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, in an hour he doesn't know, and he will cut him in pieces. He'll put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Guys, remember, I'm not saying any of this to scare you. In fact, I'm not saying this at all. These are Jesus's words. Okay, and naming and claiming Christ as Lord will do you no good. Lord, Lord, on the day of reckoning, all right? You need to make sure that Christ has truly claimed your heart and transformed your heart from the inside out, that he's opened your eyes, that you've been reborn, all right? Because if he's changed you, you'll live like a changed person, all right? If God has truly ransomed you, you'll live your life as a ransom for many. If you've committed your life to Christ, your life's gonna look different than everyone else. If you truly believe in Jesus, you'll be living for Jesus. And you don't have to worry on the day of reckoning if that's who you are. You don't have to worry about being cut in pieces. You don't have to worry about being tossed into hell with all the hypocrites. You don't have to worry that you'll be gnashing your teeth on the day of reckoning. If your heart has been transformed to love and live for Christ, this warning shouldn't trouble you, okay? But if your heart hasn't been wrecked for Christ, if your heart doesn't share that same heartbeat of Jesus, and you guys, you've seen me do this before, what does God's heartbeat sound like? People, people, people. If your heart doesn't beat for others, maybe you need to take a second and examine yourself. Because verse 51, it's truly terrifying. And I think Jesus uses his most terrifying words right here for a reason, that we would examine ourselves and guys, I get it. I really do. We're all conflicted people, right? And even if we know that we know that we're saved, right? We've got to ask ourselves this question because Jesus asks us this question. Are we truly faithful servants? For the faithful servant of God faithfully serves others. This is what the faithful servant of God does. They faithfully serve others. Um, for you members, if you guys remember our vision night at dinner um, that happened back in November, this right here is what our church has been called to do specifically in 2023, to climb, serve mountain together, all right? And Christ asks us to examine ourselves. Do we faithfully serve others? Do we regularly give to see others served? Do we sacrifice to pay the ransom price for others? Now, um, what's really cool about uh, this whole passage in general um, at the end of Matthew 24 is it informs these next two parables, or actually I should say the next two parables that start off Matthew 25, they inform this teaching. So right now I want to look at the second parable um, in Matthew 25. It's called the parable of the talents, uh, not talents like a talent show. Talents were a form of money um, back in those days, all right, when Jesus was telling these stories. And even if you've heard this parable a thousand times, I just encourage you to lean in right now and ask yourself uh, these hard questions. Ask yourself, are you a faithful servant of the Lord? Where are you being unfaithful? And how can you be more faithful to the gospel truth that's been presented or entrusted to you? So, once upon a time, a very rich man was going away for a long vacation and he called all of his managers together, all of his hedge fund managers, and he entrusted them to take care of all of his wealth while he was gone. To one, he gave $5 million. To another, he gave $2 million. And then to one guy, he gave him $1 million. All right? And then the boss went away. 
The guy who got five million, he went right away and he started trading and networking. And you know what he did with that five million dollars? He made another five million. All right. And the guy who got two million dollars, well, he started investing right away too. He, he thought all the places he could think of to start investing the money. And you know what? He made another two million dollars. But the guy that got one million, he just kind of sat on the money, right? He didn't want to lose it. He thought to himself, maybe, just maybe, if I don't take the money to the banks um, or if I don't do anything with it, maybe my boss won't come back or maybe, you know what, maybe my boss will forget he ever gave me that money in the first place. But after a long time, the boss came home and he called each one of them into his office to settle his accounts. He talked first to the guy who took five million and made another five million. And the boss was thrilled and he said... That's it, man. Well done. You played to win and you won. I'm so proud of you. You know what? I'm going to give you another five million as a reward. And then the boss, he talked to the second guy, the guy that took two and made another two for four million. He said, good job, buddy. I'm so proud of you. I want to reward you with another two million. And you know what? Bring it in. But then the guy that hid his million in the ground, he came into the boss's office. And what do you think the boss said to him? Dude, what happened? Did you really think I was never coming back? Did you really just sit on all that money? Don't tell me you didn't even try to serve me, at least try to do something with it. Come on, dude. You didn't even play to win. You played to not lose. And guess what? You just lost. You were lazy. You were afraid. And you didn't even try. You're fired. And then the boss took that million from him, gave it to the guy with 10 million, and he pressed charges against his wicked employee. And then Jesus says this to end the story. For to everyone that has, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from the one who doesn't have, even what little they do have will be taken away, and they will be cast out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the word of God. Guys, A day of reckoning is coming. Don't let it wreck you. Get right with God before you find yourself on the wrong side of heaven's gates. On the day of reckoning, you don't want Christ to find you wanting. So commit your life to him and be filled with his spirit. For when he comes to the earth, what is he seeking? He's seeking faith. Will he find it in you? And when he sits down to settle accounts with you, dear Christian, at the end of all time, what do you want him to say? Do you want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm so proud of you. You fed my sheep. You fought the good fight. You served others and you didn't seek to be served. You gave your life as a ransom for many. Don't you want Jesus to welcome you into that heaven? Or would you rather enter eternity gritting your teeth weeping and just wishing that you'd given him everything. Friends, don't be wrecked on the day of reckoning. That's my simple bottom line main point of today's message. Don't be wrecked. I don't want that for you. You don't want that for you. I urge you to do what you need to do so that the day of reckoning doesn't wreck you. Um, You know, I, I spent a lot of time in the beginning of my message talking about what it feels like when reckoning is beckoning that pit in your stomach. I know that feeling. I don't want that flashing lights in the, in the rearview mirror for you. I don't want that feeling for you on the day of reckoning. But this is the thing we have the hardest time as humans, right? We don't want to change until it's too late. I'm telling you, it's five, four, three, two, one. Ready or not, here he comes. The day of reckoning is upon us. No one knows the day that they'll die. And you could get in a car wreck on your way home today. 
And you could literally be standing in front of God in less than 30 minutes. Guys, you never know when it's ready or not. Here I come. So I'm begging you, come to Jesus before he comes to you. And if I can give you a next step, here it is. It's be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God and be reconciled to others. Um, This week, I've been thinking a lot about Matthew 5, verse 23. that says, if you're there to give your gift at church, if you're there and your brother has got something against you or you know they've got something, uh, that you've got something against them, you need to go and you need to be reconciled with them. And so I implore you, church, be reconciled with your loved ones. Be reconciled with your enemies before it's too late. Be reconciled with God before it's too late. We prayed in the green room um, before we, uh, we came out here to worship with you all. And we prayed and we said, God, thank you for this ministry of reconciliation you've given us. This is the ministry that God has given us. He has reconciled us to himself that we might be able to point others and say, be reconciled. That we might be able to serve and give and sacrifice and pay that price that others would know Christ. Church, this is what I want for you. I want for you the joy that is working for and serving the Lord faithfully. It's so good. It's so good. Don't miss out on it. Um, Jacob, you were talking to me earlier. He's the guy in the drum aquarium. We open it up and give him little flakes every once in a while. Um, <laughs> we were talking about it. And uh, he said, Jeff, where do you get that energy from? I'll tell you where I get the energy from. I get the energy because I know that this is the most worthwhile thing I could ever do with my life. And I know it's the most worthwhile thing you could ever do with your life. Not being a pastor. No, telling others about Christ. Giving and serving. That you might enter heaven to this. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want for you. So be reconciled today. Be reconciled before the day of reckoning comes. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes and pray with me? God, you own it all. Heaven and earth and all of history, it all belongs to you. Help us now to give it back to you. Help us to serve and love and give like we mean it. And for anyone in here that's never never given you their life, God, I pray that you would call them now to be saved. I pray that all of us would respond to your gospel truth, the truth that you lived to give to us. I pray that we would die to ourselves and that we would live for you. For this is the truth that sets us free. It's not I who lives, but Christ in me. This is the truth that sets us free. It's not Christ who lives, but Christ in me. Lord Jesus, we commit this time of worship to you. We pray we'd worship you in spirit and in truth extravagantly as you deserve for you extravagantly poured out your love upon us. God, we say thank you. We say thank you. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.